This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very pleased to have with me all the way from Denver, Colorado, Brent Weaver from You Gurus. Hey, Brent, how are you? Great. It's uh, awesome to be here. Thank you very much for joining us on the WP Elevation Podcast. For those of you that don't know, you gurus offer a ton of advice and coaching and classes and courses for web professionals, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But before we get into it, Brent has very kindly offered to donate a course, one of the YouGurus courses, which are valued at $99 as a prize for this week's competition. So stick around for details on how you can enter that competition a little bit later on. All right, Brent, before we start talking about you gurus, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, you know, I, I probably went through a few different phases, uh, you know, of wanting to be a professional skateboarder, wanting to be a professional uh, rollerblader, then a professional BMXer. Uh, but if I really think about my kind of genesis story, I, I always was starting little businesses. You know, I, I did the lemonade stand thing. Uh, I did the uh, the the bike tire uh, flat uh, replace you know replace the tube type of stand. Uh, we did a bike tweak stand. Um, at one point in time, I actually had a business that helped. Uh, I would get people's mail for them and take their mail from our mailboxes where I lived in in Bakersfield, California, where all the way down the street from everybody's houses. And so we'd go with their mail keys and we'd get their mail and bring them to their house, uh, which I'm pretty sure is not really like a legal type of service because you're not supposed to mess with people's mail. But uh, pretty much any time we thought of something, we would always just create a business out of it. And uh, I kept doing that. And you know, the business I had created before YouGurus uh, called Hot Press Web, uh, which was a web agency I had for 13 years. I actually started that when I was uh, 17, last year of my high school career. So I ended up starting enough businesses to the point where I started a business that I kept for like 13 years and then have based a lot of you gurus on. So I think eventually I, I just wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, I love I love helping people. I love uh, being able to make a little bit of money while I do that. Awesome. Do you remember when you first discovered the internet? Um. You know, I, I remember the first time I got online, and it was definitely through uh, like AOL. And uh, you know, it wasn't—I don't think it was really like the internet as we know it today. But a friend of mine in like a summer camp told me about this thing called the World Wide Web. And I specifically remember him saying, you know, you—he's like, you get on the internet, and you go to www.this. You know, and at the time, AOL didn't really have like you didn't access the World Wide Web outright. There was a World Wide Web feature within. Uh, AOL. And so, you know, I'd been on AOL a lot doing chat rooms or games or what have you. And then I remember accessing the World Wide Web. And at the time, it was like there really wasn't any search engines. So you had to like hear about like a dot com or whatever, or use web crawler or, or whatever search engine back then that that was around. But uh, that was definitely the first time I got into the internet. And I, I think I must have been, um, I must have been 14 or 15. You know, it was it was pretty young. I think you know, we had a we always had computers in our family since I was you know I can remember you know an Apple IIe like way back in the day we had uh, you know so we, we always had a computer in the house and you know eventually I had my own computer but um, you know that AOL would have been my first that's, I don't even know if I want to admit that AOL was my exposure to the internet but it was you know what, man, uh, but it's a, it's a really common story particularly from people in the states because we didn't get AOL here in Australia of course but just about everyone I've interviewed on this podcast who's in the states they say the same thing they got this CD in the mail from AOL they put it in they didn't really know what it was and that was their introduction to online 
Yeah, and I, you know, I started getting, you know, more into like dial-up services. So I had there was a service called Earthlink here, and I, I was a, an alpha tester for an online game, and I got a free subscription to Earthlink along with that. And uh, they actually had like a little one megabyte hosting or something like that that came <laughs> along with it. And I was like, hosting, like, what does that mean? And they're like, they're like, well, you can put files onto the World Wide Web. And then like it started clicking. And I think by the time I was 16, uh, I had my own uh, web server and we ran a gaming website where we did like gaming news and stuff like that. And I'd go to events and publish some content around that. So I definitely started publishing content pretty, pretty young and uh, had some early experience and definitely some early failures with that. Awesome. So, so when did you discover this, the concept of web-based marketing? I'm not going to say internet marketing or online marketing, but, but in those early days, when did you discover the concept that, hey, I can actually use this for marketing purposes? You know, that probably took a long time. I mean, we, we built websites, which, I mean, websites are inherently a, a piece of marketing collateral, or it's the whole online business, right? They're transactional or they're uh, educational, or they're, they could be a lot of different things. So, you know, my business partner and I built websites for years, probably without realizing that we were really becoming marketers. We just knew how to build websites. We knew that people uh, liked to find websites to buy things from or, or whatever. And so I don't, I don't think we really felt like we were marketers for a long time. We felt like web designers and developers. But when we started to think about web in terms of marketing for our customers, you know, that's kind of when things change. When we started to think more in terms of how can we help other people grow their businesses and, and use the internet to do that, you know, that's when our contracts went from these measly little website design contracts to, uh, you know, significant, you know, five-figure deals with large retainers and, and all that kind of stuff. So once we realized that websites are an integral part of companies' marketing efforts, you know, it, it kind of changed the game for us. Mm. Nice. Um, okay, let's talk about you gurus for a minute or in terms of in terms of your trajectory to the current day, when you meet someone for the first time, how do you describe what you do in one sentence? What's your elevator pitch, so to speak? Yeah, so and I'm still always working on this, but right now it's uh, we help web professionals build wildly successful businesses. Awesome. So that's that's the uh, the elevator pitch. Uh, right now, that comes in the form of courses, you know, video-based courses. Um, you know, I used to do a lot of consulting services and things like that. Um, we've kind of wound those down with the purpose of um, potentially launching some other product lines here in the future uh, besides just video courseware. But we've got some, some great courses on YouGurus right now and, and definitely some more on the way. Awesome. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a, in, in a minute because I'm fascinated with what you guys are doing there. Uh, what do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? Uh, it's a great question, you know, so <laughs> I might have to think about that for a second. What did I do today? Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, blogging and doing content marketing and, and then talking to customers and, and that's pretty much what I spend a good deal of my time doing. So, uh, you know, I'm, even though we have a customer service person that helps kind of field the emails and stuff like that, you know, I spend a lot of time still fielding customer emails and figuring out what's going on in their world and doing customer development interviews and trying to figure out kind of where they're at in their business and how we can come in and, and build products to help them. So that's a lot of my passion is just meeting with customers and, and uh, doing blog posts and content marketing. But, you know, then there's like the kind of CEO type duties around working with my team. You know, I've got a great uh, COO and he, you know, does a lot of our general operations and project management. So, you know, I meet with him a lot. I meet with pretty much a lot of my team, at least a little bit each week. 
as much as I can. And then I also spend a lot of time kind of out of the office, you know, trying to go to events, trying to meet potential partner companies. Uh, we've done a lot of work with Adobe over the years. And so I've got a really strong relationship with them. Uh, I still spend a lot of time with Adobe on various projects. And so, you know, I spend a lot of time out of the office, in the office. Uh, and a lot of it doesn't amount to creating product, which is what my team does. So, you know, I I get to kind of work, you know, in between our external world and then our internal world. And my team spends all their time developing great products. So it's it's kind of fun. How do you know, I'm just a little off topic for a minute, but just to explore this, I was talking to Shane Pellman from Modern Tribe recently, and he spoke about this concept of, he said he's really good at triaging in terms of, you know, look look at your to-do list for the day, and he, he's really good at knowing what is the high value stuff and what he should be focusing on. How do you approach that? How do you know what it is you should be doing today and tomorrow and what to put on the bench? Well, I think, you know, in, at least... I always have my intentions going into the day and, you know, there's, there's a certain element of, you know, being, I guess, at the, the tip, the head of the company that, you know, everybody's problem, if it gets big enough, will eventually land on your desk. So you, you have to figure out how to balance that with the stuff that you really want to get done. Uh, I used to have a phrase I called RGA or revenue generating activity. Mm. So if I sometimes got into a, a, a place where I wasn't feeling very productive, I'd kind of think around, what are the types of activities that I do that generate the most amount of income for the business? And, you know, am I doing enough of those or am I doing kind of too much back office or too much, uh, you know, non-revenue generating activity and trying to keep a good balance in between those? You know, a lot of times uh, I can get really carried away with with content marketing and, and getting out there and doing this kind of stuff, which some people have a really hard time with. And I'm like the opposite. Like I'm always making content. I'm always doing blog posts, but I'm not always like working on revenue generating products. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm out there promoting our brand, but then not so much maybe coming up with the next big thing. And so I, I find myself having to keep a balance between that. Um, I'm a pretty addicted Trello user. So the one thing I have learned to do is take all of my to-dos, the things that I want to get accomplished, and I, I dump them onto uh, various lists. And then I, I look at them in front of me, and I, I make a conscious choice of what I'm going to work on and when I'm going to work on it uh, versus just doing the next thing. So if I find that I have a list of things I want to get done today, and I get to the end of the day, and I did like one out of five of them, I can at least give myself a little bit of, you know, uh, I'll give myself a hard time for like what happened. Like, oh, well, you know what? I was talking to the team and it turns out we had a big commitment to this project before the holidays, got pulled into a three-hour meeting, and then I ended up having to do some after-action reports for them. And, and that's okay because, you know what, I got my team to the next stage in the process. So, you know, always just being kind of very conscious of that. I think when I was an early entrepreneur, I didn't, I just kind of did what I felt like doing. Mm-hmm. And so... I wouldn't really organize my thoughts and my, my priorities quite as much. And now I, I do that religiously. So if there's something that I need to do, I put it on the board and I, I prioritize it based on that. Great tip. I like the, the visual idea of using Trello just to dump everything out of your head somewhere, park it, and then analyze it and plan it before you actually get stuck into it. What's the one thing that keeps you awake at night? Sure. So uh, you know when, when I used to have a service business, the one thing that kept me up at night was you know, my customers' businesses staying online. We had hundreds of clients that we were in charge of hosting and managing. And definitely over the years, a few times, you know, our hosting infrastructure would drop out and all of a sudden we've got 50 customers whose businesses and email and whatever have gone down. Since selling my agency and moving towards 
an information-based company and an online uh, education company, the thing that keeps me up now, now is making sure that we're building the right product that's solving the biggest problem that mm. customers have. Mm. Uh, you know, we could spend three months on something and launch it, and it turns out nobody wants it. And it's like, yeah, that sucks for revenue, but that also sucks for the last three months of our life. So yeah. I think figuring out what that product is and, um, you know, is something that definitely keeps me up at night. I want to make sure that myself and my team we're 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 building something meaningful and that our customers really want and that they're going to value. And I used to I didn't think about product like that. I used to think about product like I would just build something that I thought people wanted or I would build something that I thought I would want, you know, kind of scratch my own itch. Mm. Uh, but I found after launching a lot of products over the last three years that um, you know it, it takes more than that. You have to really do your homework ahead of time to create something that's worth building. Uh, and, and I used to, being a designer and a developer, it's sometimes easier for me just to jump into code and just to jump into design and like start making something, right? Yeah. And you almost have to like catch yourself and say, you know what, I'm gonna go have 10 conversations with web pros and I'm just gonna like talk to them about their business, talk to them about the types of services and the products that they use and you know, see if the thing that we're thinking about is even worthwhile. And and you kind of have to put your ego aside a little bit and say, you know what, you know, let's just because I have an idea and I think it's the greatest idea in the world doesn't necessarily mean that we should go get you know a hundred thousand dollars in venture funding and go and and do this thing. You know, you have to kind of uh, I think tread a little carefully to to make sure that you win. And that's that's I think what the the core thing I'm after now is I want to have a great product that. Um, is is scalable, that's shareable, that people love and, and they, they use every day or they use when we need them to use it. Mm. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment in terms of how you choose which products to make and which ones to leave on the bench. But before we get there, what do you do when you're not working? <laughs> uh, you know, I guess I'm married. I hang out with my wife. Uh, you know, the typical kind of hangout stuff, go to concerts, shows. Um, the most interesting thing in the last few months is I, uh, I actually got three uh, chickens in my backyard and I built a chicken coop, which I thought I was going to build a chicken coop in like one weekend. And it turned out it took eight weekends. Uh-oh. So for like for like two months, like all I was doing was like building this chicken coop and talking about chickens and all this kind of stuff. So that was my big summer project. And, uh, you know, so that that's probably the most random thing that I've done. But, you know, I like to exercise. I like to bike. I like to snowboard here in Colorado uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I like to box or at least I used to box. Now I just kind of punch a punching bag. And so I'd like to stay active as much as I can. And, uh, and, you know, Denver is a great place for that. I read that you like running and writing and that your writing schedule is quite, uh, regimented that you write, you know, you write solidly every day for a, a certain period of time. Do you think having that routine helps you stay clear headed and enabled to focus on stuff during the day? For sure, you know, because I, I feel like if there's anything that I want to get done in a day, it's, you know, if I got a blog post out or wrote an article or just wrote something that will never see the light of day, I, I do feel like I got something done, mm. uh, at least for myself, which I think is important because I, I spend a lot of my day doing stuff that really impacts other people's jobs. And then, you know, the content marketing stuff and, and the blogging is really something that I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of. So, yeah, I usually try to write for an hour every morning. Sometimes that turns into two hours. 
when I don't write for a period of time, like over the break, I kind of, I, I, I really had good intentions that I was going to work on some projects, but I, I let, I put family first over the, over the break. And I spent a lot, a lot of time with family. And I, I noticed when I got back in the saddle, it was like, it was really hard. I mean, that was after a week, right? Like, yeah. I mean, back in the, like over a year ago, I would go weeks without writing. And now it's like, I take a week off and it's like, oh man, what's going on here? So I do like to keep a daily practice of that. Uh, you know, running, I have, uh, unfortunately I had a back injury and it kind of has kept me from, uh, having vertical impact on my spine, uh, for the last six months. So that's been a little bit of a, uh, a, a wrench in my running schedule, but, uh, I've been working on some PT and, and hopefully we'll be back, back running around Denver, uh, as soon as I can. Cool. Awesome. Okay. Let's talk about you gurus. You gurus is essentially a product business and you were in client services with your agency and it's interesting, I've been watching your kind of journey for a while and following what you've been doing and taking some of your courses. And you've essentially, and I've, I came from a client services agency as well, I'm now in the product business. So, and you've essentially taken your experience in that business, packaged that up into products that help other web pros. How, how did that decision come about to, to make the transition from a client service agency into an information product company? Sure. So, you know, we started our, our client services business in 99 and... Uh, we built websites on a huge variety of different platforms, you know, uh, WordPress, uh, Light CMS, uh, Sitefinity, Shopify, .NET Nuke. Uh, we had our own content management system called uh, uh, Hot Press CMS. We had another content management system called uh, CCD. So we had all these like platforms we launched clients. So we basically had this long history of, of service with our clients. And um, in 2010, we started using a product called Adobe Business Catalyst. Uh, we were pretty good at it. We had a lot of history as a company. And so when we, we were able to take that product on, we kind of were able to scale it up really quickly and turn it into something that other people really wanted to learn from us because they were like, how did these guys go from like zero BC sites to like a hundred BC sites in like, you know, a short period of time. And so I started blogging about that. You know, the BC blog turned into a, a product we called Pro and it was basically a subscription for people to access uh, video training about what our agency did. So I had every one of my employees had one day a week to capture the knowledge of what they did the previous four days of the week. So we created a culture of teaching within the company. So we were out there building websites for clients, but then we were also capturing that knowledge. And I always thought it was interesting, like every project we, wor we worked on, I thought there was some kind of cool little workaround or lesson learned. Mm. And so we just trained our whole company to do that. And it turned into a really cool recurring revenue uh, stream for the company uh, so much so that whenever you know but, but we, we didn't focus on it all the time it would just be something that we did kind of in our spare time well after a while it kind of it, it got on our radar so much that we we're like you know what we, we actually might be making more money over there doing that thing with the product than we would be with our service business and on top of that you know we would our clients i think loved us but the web pros that we serviced they loved us so much more. I mean, we would get these like six page dissertation letters around how our website changed their life. And it was really hard to ignore that. So uh, we had, you know, we ended up scaling that business up and it's still in, in business now. It's, uh, it's, it's doing really great. We're pretty much the number one site in the BC area. We took that same model and we basically wanted to take that to the general web pro market of teaching web professionals not the technical skills not the how to do the coolest new html thing or work with the newest framework or the newest jquery widget or the newest cms or whatever like we because that stuff never really helped us double our business mm. it never helped us go from 
you know, $200,000 in revenue to $700,000 in revenue to a million dollars in revenue, like, like understanding, um, you know, how to, to build websites really wasn't doing that for us. But what was, was understanding sales and marketing, understanding how to manage a team, understanding how to be a leader, uh, understanding how to networking your clients. Those are the types of skills that when we learned those from other mentors and advisors, they made a significant impact in our business. So that's what we've set out to do with YouGurus is focus on those types of things, bring in some of the top experts in the world to help train uh, web pros um, those same lessons that really made a profound impact in our business. Was it a hard decision to make to sell the agency and to focus on being an information product company? Uh, you know, yes and no. Like I said, we, you know, we had, you know, I loved our clients. I mean, I loved the fact that we had, you know, almost a ton of businesses I'd go to in Denver were people that I worked with and I liked having that relationship. Um, it kind of meant that I was like working all the time. I mean, I always had to be available. I was always, um, you know, going places, running into clients or having to introduce myself and try to maybe get a meeting out of the situation. So I, I really loved our clients, but, um, in the web pro market and the product market, it just, it changes your lifestyle a little bit. You know, I think you get to put a lot of work into something and then launch it and then kind of like back off a little bit mm. and just, you know, hopefully you build something people want, mm. um, but you don't have to necessarily be like so on call. Uh, with everything, you know, whereas service, if somebody pays you $25,000 for a website over a six week period of time, they kind of expect you to be available. And then especially after it's live, you know, if their email like twitches out, like, boom, you're, you're getting a phone call. <laughs> and, I, you know, I had done that for 13 years. And yeah. I think myself and my business partner, we were just ready for kind of a new adventure. And yeah. um, it, it just became time for us to, to try something new. How did you get your first 10 customers for you gurus? <laughs> All right. So uh, in, in terms of getting our first uh, few customers for you gurus, like I said, we had a history in business catalyst and, uh, you know, we had an email list. We had some traffic sources. Uh, you know, when we launched YouGurus.com, Adobe sent out some emails to their web professional customers. We're able to kind of fast track our success in the general web pro market. Um, we were able to leverage some of the folks that we knew in the BC market to also come over and start buying products from us. So, you know, we did have a little bit of a footprint in web, but we just didn't have a name when you can, you know, consider some of the properties like Smashing Magazine and SitePoint and uh, Envato. So most people that have been around in, you know, web for a decade, we had, we had been around one CMS, one type of property. And so, you know, creating a name for ourselves in the general web pro market has definitely been an uphill battle, but, um, you know, spent a ton of time writing articles and, uh, you know, pushing out a ton of free content. You know, I, I give away my, my website proposal. We give away a ton of content on YouGurus uh, to get people to be introduced to our brand. So we definitely have always had a history of giving away a lot of free stuff before we ever ask for any, any money. Good old-fashioned content marketing and the, the freemium model. But also the, the thing with the Adobe thing, don't underestimate that because that to me sounds like a classic JV, which kind of happened organically. You know, it definitely happened organically. I mean, we... we very early on when we were launching BC sites, one of my mentors said, hey, if you know, they're a supplier of yours, they're a vendor, they're a partner, you know, you should forge a relationship with them. And so I was like, okay, cool. You know, I just hopped on a plane and attended Max like three weeks later. And I think before I went out to Max, I emailed them and said, you know, I'd love to speak at your event. And it was really funny because they never got back to me on that. They never said, hey, yeah, we'd like to have you speak. And I was actually like, I got to Adobe Max. I was 
flipping through the uh, the program for the uh, conference, and there I come to my name, and it was like Brent Weaver on how to get more clients with blah blah blah, and I was like, oh my god, like I have to give a, a an hour long presentation tomorrow, like you have to be kidding me, you know? And that's how I found out I was speaking, and I like spent the whole like you know whole night like writing a deck and all that kind of stuff. So that that's been really fruitful. I mean, the one thing I would say is that. You know, I kind of I got on their radar by by hassling them, and then I just instead of asking them permission to do stuff, um, I would just do it, and then kind of like beg for forgiveness if they got mad. So a lot of people they they almost will be like, oh well, you know, Adobe doesn't treat me like that or whatever. And I'm just like, you know what? You just gotta start doing stuff. You know, do stuff so much that they can't miss you on their on their radar. And I think before I'd even, you know, sent an email to Adobe uh, about wanting to partner with them, I had written like a 15-page blog post uh, a, that was a direct response to somebody that was trashing the platform. And, uh, you know, I had done a lot of that kind of stuff to basically say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm a potential evangelist here. But I never said that, but it was like yeah, yeah. I was out there helping them get a good name. Yeah, it's great positioning, isn't it? Um how, at what point did you know you gurus was an idea worth pursuing? Um, well, you know, I think we had a lot of success in a very small market doing the types of things that we were doing. So, you know, you gurus for me became worth doing when we had success in the super micro uh, BC space, right? So, we had some success there and said, I bet if we took this to the general web pro market, we'd also find success. So after we had a few, um, I wrote a blog post called uh, Never Say WordPress When Selling a Website Deal that just had some of my core uh, value proposition of uh, don't sell websites, sell a solution that solves real customer pain and problems. And I, and I outlined in that article like a little bit about how I do that. Um, and that article like went crazy viral, went to the top of Hacker News, and a lot of people read it and they... They, they saw my title of it and they got like pissed off and then they read the article and they're like, well, yeah, he does have some good points, right? So like I wasn't really bashing any CMS because I've sold them all. Uh, you know, I was just talking about how when I stopped selling CMS solutions, when I stopped selling websites as widgets and I started to understand my customer's business and, and get into their number one pain, which is I need more customers and help them develop a solution and a plan around achieving that, it didn't matter what kind of CMS a website was on. It, 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 the technical stuff never it never mattered. And, and the weird side effect was my website projects, they increased by tenfold. You know, they went from 3,000 to 30,000. It wasn't like, oh, I got a few hundred extra bucks. It was like the same scope of work was getting me 10 times as much revenue. Mm. It's funny because uh, that article, I think, is actually how I discovered you gurus. I think I was aware of your name through the BC days, but someone sent me that article and said, oh, you should hear what this guy's saying. He's, you know, saying very similar stuff to what you're saying. I'm like, what's this guy all about? And I read the article. I'm like, yes, he's totally, that's exactly right. So, that, yeah, that was a, a really good article that did get spread a lot. Um, I just want to talk about your, the YouGurus brand for a minute. Your stuff looks freaking amazing. The, the courses, the website, everything you guys do looks a million dollars. That's obviously a conscious decision that you've made and, and an expensive decision that you've made. Uh, to produce that high quality stuff is that what why is it so important to produce such beautiful high quality content well i mean our market is web pros so if if our stuff doesn't look like what they aspire to make their stuff look like then you know we're not 
I don't think we're meeting uh, their expectations. You know, I think if we're not making our website responsive and we want to talk about how to, you know, help sell responsive websites and build value for that kind of thing, it's going to be hard for them to really believe that we're a reputable brand. Um, I think, you know, having 13 years as an agency owner, I, I, we understand how to get good design. We understand it, what it means to have uh, a great website. But I mean, look, I've got talented people that work for me. So I've, you know, I find it maybe it is a little bit more expensive, but finding good people that know how to make things look good, look sharp, and that they care about, you know, I mean, I don't think I've told Nicole, who's our, our kind of creative director, I don't think I've told her like specifically what something should look like for like a very long time. She just like knows and she just has the ability to say, hey, here's our brand, here's our values, here's our mission, this is the type of product we're creating. And she creates stuff that is in line with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and we actually spend very little time, uh, surprisingly, on uh, kind of uh, policing that, um, you know? So we, we've been very fortunate in that way to to always have stuff that looks good. But I think at the bottom the bottom line is that if, if we're selling to web designers and web pros, we, we have to have something that's credible and that meets their expectations. Well, you, you just made an interesting point because when you surround yourself with good people who are good at what they do and you're all on the same page, you then just trust them to do their job and get out of their way and let them execute without policing them and without micromanaging. That's It's hard to let go of the reins sometimes, isn't it? Um, it is. I mean, it is in certain ways. It isn't, isn't in others. So I think when they have certain skills that I don't, I don't have anymore. I mean, if you wouldn't want yougurus.com designed by me, uh, <laughs> trust me, you know, like I, I would still be like doing like table based design or something, you know? And I, I mean, I know all the new concepts. I know the whole like thing. Like we've all like, what's wrong uh, with table based designs, right? What's wrong with table based design? <laughs> I mean, I guess my emails are probably still table based. So there, there's a time and a place, but when I'm bringing in a designer to work on my team, you know, one of the reasons I'm hiring somebody that's an expert at their skill is because I know they're going to take it up to the next level for me. Uh, you know, when I hired our video producer, like if you go to like if you go to some of our old video products, um, I actually did the video production, right? And it was like this whiteboard, like really dingy video. It was one camera. There was no lighting whatsoever. There was uh, it was just like this. Uh, you know, you could just tell that it was like some dude in his camera, right? And I could I could get by and I could get the content across, but when I hired Tyler, our video producer, like I, I knew I could create content that was like here, mm. but I wanted him to come in and just take the reins and, and take it up to here where I, I had no ability to take our content up to that level. Mm. And then the surprising thing happens, which is not only does he take the pressure off of me, but he's able to do things that I just didn't even know were possible. I mean, yeah. he tweaks around with lighting and with editing and with our graphics packages and all that kind of stuff in ways that I never even thought about, which I think makes for us at least makes our content more engaging, makes the quality of the product better. If somebody buys our product and they don't go to they don't say to themselves, you know, this is a low quality product. We still have to deliver on the content side. Uh, of what we're actually teaching, but you know, having people that are really good at what they do, they really come in and they just like own what they're good at, you know, and they they take it to the next level. Yeah, good advice. Uh, talking about your team, you have a substantial team. I think you've got eight on, on the team, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. How do you get everyone on the same page, playing the same game, kicking the same ball at the same goals? Uh, a lot of yelling and screaming. <laughs> no, um, yes, <laughs> that yes. was that was just yesterday. No, uh, <laughs> You know, I think um, we use a lot of collaboration software and we also, uh, we work remote sometimes, you know, so we, we have to have really good communication and, 
and really make sure that everybody's on the same page. Uh, we run a lot of lean methodology, uh, which is kind of a newer thing for us, but it's something that we all kind of started studying and said, you know what, let's at least, if we're going to be working together and on the same ship, we should all be speaking the same language. Mm. So if I say MVP, everybody in the team knows what MVP means. Mm. If I say, you know, and then the same thing goes for like studying an agile or, or using something like a Kanban board to, you know, track progress, you know, we can't just kind of pick and choose individually what types of methods we use. We all need to be using a standard system uh, in order to communicate together because, you know, if I say we're going to head towards that goal or whatever, you know, everybody needs to know that that's the goal, right? That there's not three possible goals, right? We all have to understand that it's the same goal. It's the same set of rules. It's the same stadium that we're playing at or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, however you want to draw the analogy or the metaphor. But, you know, so I think taking the time to, to speak the same language and choose a, a methodology. You know, a lot of guys choose, you know, agile and that's like they're doing agile or they're choosing uh, lean, you know? And so I think if you're going to choose a methodology, you should all choose it. Don't have your developers doing agile, your entrepreneurs doing lean, you know, and, and everybody else doing kind of their own DIY, you know, GTD type of methodology. If you're going to choose a method, uh, you have to do that as a team. Uh, the other thing we do daily huddles. So every day, 10 minutes standing huddle, uh, you know, what's your uh, victory from yesterday, your priority for the day. And then uh, if you're stuck or need help. So we, you know, even when our team's been up to 12 people, we have been able to do those and still keep within 10 minutes. And I think that's been, uh, it's been a while. It, it took a while to get that as something that everybody's on the same page about, mm-hmm. but um, I pretty much rammed it down everybody's throat until now. If, it, if, if a day goes by without doing the 10, 10, people get like uncomfortable. And, and so we picked an odd time. So 10, 10 AM. So uh, is when we do our 10-minute huddle. And that way, if people stay up late working or whatever, they can still make the 10-10. They don't have to wake up at the crack of dawn. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Um, here's an interesting question that I get asked quite a bit, and I thought it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. How, at what point did you decide that you had enough credibility to start teaching others? Uh, yeah, that's a good question, you know, because I've got some friends that have agencies that are making – you know, they're doing $6 million a year or more and they don't teach, you know, and they don't even think they can teach. I mean, that's a crazy thing. I'll go to them and be like, hey, you should teach a course for you gurus. And they're like, ah, oh, dude, I don't have anything to teach. And you're like, dude, you run a $6 million a year business. Like, are you kidding me? There are so many people that would not only pay a lot of money, but would love to learn from you. Yeah. Uh, and so I think for me, teaching has always been just how I, how I grew up. Um, I, I spent a lot of time growing up teaching others. I was a TA in high school. I was a TA in college. Uh, it was really natural for me to just like share knowledge and want to help other people. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if I ever arrived at a destination where I was like, okay, now I know enough I can teach. I think I just always taught along the way. And, and I think the dirty little secret of teaching is that um, when you teach something, you force yourself to really learn it. And uh, before I started teaching sales, I really, I probably wasn't, I probably couldn't have taught sales. But then once I started teaching people how to do sales, you know, I had to go and get some consultants and I had to go and uh, really learn the subject myself. And by doing that, it, it kind of forced me to be good enough to teach. Uh, and, and I don't think people will naturally, you can't teach something that you don't know. You know, if you look at learning models, you first have to acquire the knowledge uh, then you have to be able to apply meaning to that knowledge in your life. And then you have to, at that point, you can transfer the knowledge uh, to somebody else. 
And so I don't think people can really teach something unless they truly understand it. Uh, and, you know, maybe if, and I've seen on like udemy.com, there's people that have taught courses that I'm pretty sure they might not have gone out there and lived it, but I would, I would give them props and say, you know what, if you actually sit down and try to teach something, I mean, you're probably going to get some information across to some level of user that, that hopefully somebody will learn something. I think you can teach all, all along the way. It's interesting. Um, it's interesting that you, you, I think the thing that I'm getting there is that you know you don't you don't arrive at a point where someone taps you on the shoulder and says, "Hey, Brent, you can now go teach a bunch of people what you know." That it's it is kind of an instinct an instinctual thing, but also you just need to start doing it because the the act of doing it. I mean, a m- mentor once said to me, "If you think you know something, teach it, and then you'll you'll realize you know whether you know it or not, and you'll it's a rapid learning curve." So. How, did you ever kind of have the voice of doubt in the back of your head saying, oh, no one's going to take you seriously or no one's going to pay attention or everyone's going to think you're a fraud? How did you kind of work through that? I think I still have that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard too, especially as, you know, you, I get uh, in the mode of, you know, I, I produce content and training for a living and sometimes you get so in the bubble of that that you almost get detached from what's happening in, in reality yeah, for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's been a challenge too to keep up on that. But, um, you know, I think that comes down to, I mean, you look at public speaking. People hate getting up in front of people and talking. Uh, you know, I tell my wife that I have a huge fear of public speaking. And she's like, but you, you're speaking at events all the time. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I just, I just plow through it. I just like, I accept it. <laughs> But I'm still nervous as hell every time I stand up in front of a room of people, whether it's 300 people, 1,000 people, or 25 people, I still have the same fear that I think everybody else does. I think it's maybe how you kind of deal with that and whether or not you're willing to just accept that as part of the game and continue on. Um, one thing that we've, we were trying to do with YouGurus, and we did this, we've done this successfully with bcgurus.com, which is uh, give other people the opportunity to teach. So I think what you're going to see on yougurus.com over the next 12 months, you know, I've done a couple of the courses. Uh, I will continue to teach on the, on, the, on the platform. But, you know, my model has always been to, to provide a platform for other people to, to do that. Uh, for you to say go and launch a training product, it's going to be a lot of work, right? You have to build a website, something like yougurus.com. You have to go buy video equipment. You have to get an editor. You have to figure out what the process looks like. And for us, we've already done that. And so our last course called Attract Smarter Clients uh, was actually taught by a non-New Gurus employee, you know, or, or team member. She, she owns an agency in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. We flew her out. She spent a day at our studio, one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she probably spent four or five hours prepping for the course. But she spent one day uh, for that course. Um, now, we spent you know, many days doing the pre-production, the production and the post-production on that course. But we're able to take that to market for her. Uh, She actually does get a revenue share off of that. So that's something that's part of our business model. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're able to provide that as almost a service to other web professionals. And so it's something that we're definitely interested in. We're looking for gurus. We're looking for people that are, that have something worth teaching, uh, that they're interested in our market. They think they've got something that um, is going to help other web pros businesses grow. Um, We're definitely interested in bringing those folks in. So if, if you are sitting there thinking like, I might have something to teach, but I don't have the energy to take it through a full production, mm. um, you know, those are the types of people we're definitely interested in mm. as well. That's awesome. You, you just inadvertently answered a whole bunch of questions there that I wasn't comfortable asking, which is because I saw this happening with the, the bringing the external people in to teach a course. And I'm like, 
so I wonder how they're doing that. Are they like just paying those people outright or doing a revenue share? How does the how does that work? So thank you very much for sharing that because uh, that 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 certainly cleared up some things for me, and I'm sure a lot of our viewers will understand that uh, more clearly as well. I think there's two there's two reasons I like this. One, it takes the pressure off you being kind of the having to be the guy with all the answers. But two, it adds credibility, I think, to what you're doing because no longer is it just the You Gurus team delivering all this content. It's outside experts coming in, joining your team to deliver that content in a partnership, which basically is a social signal that, hey, these guys are doing something good, worth looking at. And as an external expert, I'm going to come in and share my knowledge with them and their audience. For sure. And, you know, the 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 genesis of that for me was I was down in uh, Sydney, actually, at a conference and there was a room full of 300 people. I was one of the presenters that day. They had uh, like eight or nine presenters that were doing hour long presentations. It, it was an intense day. And I was presenting like seventh or something, you know, like late in the day. So I watched all of these like amazing presentations, just these people that were, I mean, guys out there that were just doing it right. They were out there, uh, you know, running agencies and running businesses that were building hundreds and hundreds of websites every year. And I, I almost like my, my confidence just over the day, just like slowly, like went down. I'm like, like, what am I telling these people? Like, I'm not telling them anything worthwhile. Right. And well, you know, I ended up giving my presentation. It was fine. It was good. Right. But it, it stuck with me for a while. And I was like, what? And I almost felt very threatened. Like any person mm. in that room could go out and create something like what we were doing and, and blow our business away. And, uh, and that was like a very fear based mindset. And then, that translated into kind of more of a, a give mindset and a share mindset when I thought, well, what if I just started calling these people and asking them if they would produce a course on our platform and if they would actually teach for us and if I could make that work for them from a financial perspective and from a promotion standpoint, uh, you know, would they be interested in that? And so, you know, that, that started uh, kind of catching hold to the point where I personally think there's so many other web pros out there in the world that have more interesting things to say than I do. And quite frankly, the longer that I think I get away from my agency, the less credibility I think I'm going to have in the market. And I recognize that. Um, I think I'll always be able to give people great business advice because I've been there. I'm still operating a business. I think I'll be able to give people lots of ideas. I talk to anywhere from 10 to 20 web pros a day. And I don't think a lot of people out there building a web design business are in that position. So I get the, um, I'm really lucky that I get a lot of interaction with a lot of web professionals, which tells me a lot of different stories. But I also think that the best people to teach some of this stuff are the people that, you know, ran a marketing campaign last week, or they, they just walked out of selling a website deal or an internet marketing deal like two hours ago, right? Mm. That's the guy that I want to have come in and say, what's, what's new and exciting? What should people focus on? And so that's, that's a core principle of you gurus. Awesome. I like it, Brent. It's all good. All right. A quick lightning round for our WP Elevation members. For those of you that don't know, WP Elevation is the world's first business accelerator program for WordPress consultants not to be confused with web pros. Uh, this is a quick lightning round where I'm going to ask Brent a series of questions and you're going to give me just some quick answers off the top of your head. Sound good? I'm ready. All right. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? Um, probably how to, how to uh, find the real pain that's going on with their customers. So, you know, most customers... It's getting more business or whatever, but it's, it's finding out what that looks like. What's the texture around that? Awesome. What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? 
um, doing video interviews, you know, doing this, right? Going out and, uh, you know, when you do a video interview with somebody, they're not thinking that you're going to sell them. You're helping them promote their business and it allows you to have a really authentic conversation around uh, their business. So, so doing this exact thing right now. Great. How do you stop competing on price? Um, you make sure that you're providing a value that solves a real problem within somebody's life that, uh, they can anchor to something that's that's valuable, which, you know, if you can anchor something to their time, you know, if you can save somebody an hour or 10 hours or 100 hours, or you can save somebody $1,000, uh, if you can anchor your product to something that's already going on in somebody's life that's costing them a lot of money or time, then uh, I think value just gets created. Great. Any tips on writing better proposals? <laughs> uh, the biggest tip I have on writing a proposal is actually to never email a proposal and to always present a proposal. So uh, you can definitely spend a lot of time crafting the perfect document, but if your customer has no idea what the hell you're writing or what it means in there, uh, then you know the proposal doesn't matter. And so I always sit down with my client, I go through proposals line by line, make sure that all the language I've included, they understand in my own words, and I can, uh, I can catch any kind of gotchas right there with them. Awesome. Favorite tool or system for CRM? Um, for CRM, uh, you know, when we were running our agency, I think probably uh, Salesforce was where we ended up because we had so much activity going on. Uh, in my earlier days, was kind of a high-rise junkie. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, believe it or not, I, I, am a, I use Gmail contacts and, uh, and Trello. So I use a combination of of some things there, and I don't really use an official CRM anymore. I pretty much have uh, all my contact management happens within uh, Google, which is where I spend all my time in email anyways, and so I just made sure that my CRM's up to date and it's good. What's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? Uh, great question. Uh, weekly standing meetings has was probably the one trick that we did that worked extremely well. Uh, blocking out 30 minutes or more uh, for a weekly meeting right when you start a project. So if you've got eight weeks to work with a client, right at your kickoff meeting, schedule, get them to commit on their calendar to those eight meetings. And that way, every week you kind of get a check-in of where you're at. If the schedule needs to be revised, you're there to do it with the customer. And you can review things like comps, wireframes, copy, et cetera. Those things that a lot of time we allow our clients to just, you, we deliver them and then the client goes off and, and is supposed to get back to you, but they never do. You know, it gives you a platform to have a weekly conversation with them to just review that stuff. Awesome. Uh, the reason I like that is because it's scheduled. It's scheduled accountability. Any ideas for getting referrals from your existing clients? Sure. So, I mean, to get passive referrals, which is what we typically think of as referrals, uh, do great work, right? So do amazing work, solve real problems, and people will refer you when it comes up for them. Uh, the other way is to create an active referral stream, which usually involves asking people for referrals. Um, I found that it works a lot better if you have something to actually ask them for that's a little bit more meaningful. I, I brought up the idea of interviews before, but if you, uh, if you have a blog um, and you, like let's say restaurants are your clients and you wanna have you know, you, you're meeting with a restaurant client, you just launched the website, ask them for an introduction to another restaurant owner so that you can interview them for your blog, not sell them, but then that way you can kind of book the meeting. So get a little bit more of an active referral stream, that method. That there, ladies and gentlemen, is worth the price of admission alone. That is gold. <laughs> uh, finally, in the elevation round, what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? 
you know, I think give a lot back to the community. So getting involved in, in your industry or your target market industry and give away as much as you possibly can. Uh, this idea that you've got some proprietary process or market idea or secret, uh, it just, it does it's not there, you know, like nobody has something so unique and special that they can't share and talk about it, um, especially in the service industry. Now, if you were like some biopharmaceutical and you were, you spent $6 billion on the new Viagra, like maybe you have something that, you know, a chemical compound that you shouldn't share. But in the service business, it's all about people, knowledge and connections. And, and the way you, you develop that is by, you know, giving a lot back to the community and just kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that it gives back to you, which in, in my history, it, it's always done tenfold. Yeah. Um, awesome. That's the elevation round. But I just want to revisit this referral thing for a minute because you, you've you've really just lit a fire for me. The, the whole thing about referrals is essentially, fundamentally, when you ask for a referral, you're asking for something, right? You're, you're, you're asking for someone else to give you something. Whereas if you ask a, an existing client to refer you to another restaurateur, for example, who you could interview for your blog, what you're then doing is you're offering to promote that other restaurateur and you're adding, you're offering to add value. And it reminds me of a, a trick I learned about going to networking events that uh, when I go to a networking event now, I find the speaker in the room who I think is the most influential, the most interesting, and I ask them if I can promote them to my audience by way of interview. While everyone else is around trying to ask them questions and get stuff from them, I just pop up and offer them some value and cut through the noise straight away. And I, what, you've just, what you've just outlined there and that referral technique is a very similar process, and it's all about giving value while everyone else is trying to take. For sure. And it sets you up to have a, a more unique conversation one on one because when you sit down with somebody, and you know, I started doing video interviews probably at some level back in like 2008. There really wasn't a great medium or equipment to get them fast on the internet. So a lot of it just sat on the shelf. Uh, and actually, I could trace it back further than that. Uh, I, in 2003, 2002, I had a website that was about uh, DJ and nightlife culture and a uh, totally different sphere than web websites, right? But one of the things I did was I did DJ video interviews and so uh, for a website called beatport.com. And when I'd go to these big, you know, mega shows and stuff, I could always go up to the DJ and just be like, hey, would you want to be, you know, do you want to be on beatport.com or do you want to be interviewed on our, on our online magazine? And there's just that little like, light that goes off on people's heads where they're like, yeah, sure. I'd love to talk to your audience. You know, like, that's cool. I mean, it's what we're doing right now. Right. And, yeah. and it was always a way for me to somehow get to sit down with these really famous people and just talk to them on camera. And they were totally game to do that. And, uh, I've, I've reused that concept more. And I don't think it was really until recently that I've understood the, the psychology and the mechanics behind it. But now it's like, if I wanted to get into any industry whatsoever, if I wanted to get into like Tupperware or, uh, <laughs> organic farming, right. It's like in order to build a network, I would just create a blog and then I would go around and email people and say, Hey, I want you to be on my blog. Can I come interview you? You know? And then all of a sudden you have this hour long conversation with them. They're more than happy to refer you to other people. And, uh, that would be my plan going into any industry. So I don't know if I've just given away my, my future plan, but if, no, if you like gold. that kind of stuff, it's, it's uh, awesome. It's so. awesome. I reckon you and I should team up and become the Tupperware boys. <laughs> we could just own that niche in like a month. <laughs> For sure. The other thing I didn't realize about video interviews that someone highlighted to me recently is that when you're the interviewer, in this case me, 
I get a bunch of free consulting from the interviewee, which I didn't even realize until recently. I'm like, you're right. I've just got, I've just learned a whole bunch in the last hour that ordinarily I would have had to pay some consultant to come teach me. Sure, sure. We just had a guy that used to do a lot of consulting work for me uh, for the last few years. Uh, he just came in and did a great interview for you gurus uh, yesterday. He's given away a lot of free content as part of his uh, interview. But, you know, I used to pay like 250 bucks for that conversation. And he's like, oh, you're going to put it on the blog. Like, don't worry about it. So <laughs> exactly. uh, I can definitely vouch for that. Awesome. All right. The future for you gurus, what does that look like? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, more products, we've got, uh, more video products coming. We we're constantly trying to promote and get exposure for ourselves. So larger audiences, um, we're, we're working on a couple of, of projects. I don't necessarily want to keep them hush hush, but, sure. uh, smaller group learning more hands-on, uh, with some gurus and web pros, uh, combine that with a little bit of software. You know, we've been building our own, our own platform. You gurus is all hosted on our own, our own content management, our own, uh, user and, and behavior engine. So, I think we, we've really just started to, you know, uh, show a little bit of what's possible there in, in helping other web pros connect. So I think we're going to see a lot of big movement in that area on our website this year. Awesome. What's the future of the web design, web consulting industry look like? Uh, well, future web design, I think, is is getting more into just like, I don't know if you want to call it internet design. You've got internet of things that's really been popular. The devices, you know, have gone from just desktop to desktop, tablet, and mobile. Then I think the next iteration of that is going to be, you know, desktop, tablet, mobile. Maybe it's watch. Maybe it's placemat. Maybe it's uh, menu at a restaurant. You know, you've got a lot of these digital screens that are out there that are big that are, you know, um, people use within their offices or whatnot. I know a lot of guys that are doing web design, but they're doing them for digital signage. So I think the idea of web being this desktop experience is, is just being shattered right now. And I think that's going to continue as uh, internet becomes less about web pages in our traditional idea and more about HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and all those technologies being displayed and represented on a variety of different devices. Mm, nice. I, I, uh, I, I kind of see the compendium in the in the big hotel being replaced. I mean, it already is being replaced with iPads now, but that's a that's an obvious uh, an obvious application of that as well. When you talk about restaurant menus, the compendium in a hotel room is a, is a great opportunity. Yep, yep. So looking at all those different types of devices, I think folks that are really good at web are going to have a lot of versatility. It's not going to be about a website necessarily. It's going to be about how they're communicating information about a business across a variety of different formats. And I think we've already seen that in mobile and nobody can deny that anymore. Mm. And uh, what's Brent Weaver going to be doing in three years' time? Uh, geez, uh, probably more of the same, but hopefully, uh, you know, bigger and better. I mean, YouGurus is such a young business that, uh, you know, we've got a commitment for, uh, you know, at least a five-year play to, to, to make sure that we're hitting our goals. And I'd like to see this business become a 10 or 20-year uh, type of business. And so, you know, I think in three years, hopefully the, the full vision for YouGurus will start to be realized and we'll start to see what we believe our value proposition is to be really, you know, being experienced by our customers on a daily basis. And I, I think we've, we've, we've delivered on a little bit of that in our first year, but I think we're, we've still got a lot of work to do. Cool. All right. Just before we wrap up, I'm going to give you some details on this competition. Brent has kindly uh, sponsored a course from you gurus as the prize. So a course of your choice. Uh, they're valued at $99. You can choose whichever course you like. 
And in order to enter this competition, leave a comment under this video and tell us the number one course you would like to see uh, in the future on new gurus. And that's going to give Brent some ideas and some feedback for further product development. I'll get Brent to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the prize. How's that sound, Brent? That's perfect. I'm excited. Awesome. Uh, where can people reach out to you and say thanks? Sure. Uh, my Twitter handle, at Brent Weaver. Um, hopefully you can include that on the uh, podcast page. Uh, or just uh, Brent at YouGurus.com. And obviously Brent at YouGurus, or I'm sorry, YouGurus.com is our, our main website. So either my email or Twitter or anything. Uh, anyway, you get in touch with me, I will respond. Awesome. What's the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur starting their own business? Uh, you know, I would probably, I mean, in terms of pieces of advice, uh, you know, be patient. Uh, it, it takes a while to build a business. It takes a while to, uh, really build up the momentum to achieve something where it can, it can pay for your lifestyle. So, so be patient with it, uh, and, and perseverance, you know, keep at it. So you're, you're going to have challenges at every stage in growth at every stage along the way. And I think about a lot of moments where I could have easily given up or said, you know what, this, this is too hard. Or I'm going to get a job or whatever. And I think I just have maybe been a little stubborn. And so maybe, uh, be stubborn with it. <laughs> stubborn and patient. I love it. <laughs> uh, hey man, this has been awesome. And finally, who would you like me to interview on this podcast and why? So uh, kind of selfishly, I think I'd like you to interview uh, Ash Maria. He uh, wrote Running Lean, uh, been really into that recently and just the whole idea of customer development, applying lean types of methodologies, not in a abstract way, but a very specific way, very different from just uh, the lean startup book. So if, if you could interview him, then uh, that'd be two birds with one stone because I need to have that conversation with him anyways. Well, I think I might be able to because Ash has been mentoring us uh, through the lean methodology. So I'm pretty sure Ash will say yes to that. I'll reach out to him. That's <laughs> awesome. Very good. <laughs> Usually when, when people suggest I interview a guest, I'm like, oh man, how am I going to get hold of Richard Branson or Seth Godin? Or, you know, <laughs> it's going to take me years to get them. But this one, I'm pretty sure I can make happen. So... That's awesome. Cool. Hey, Brent, thank you very much for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. I really appreciate it. I wish you all the best for the future of you gurus. I'm watching very keenly and I'm loving what you guys are doing. So keep up the great work. Well, I appreciate it, Troy. You guys are doing a great, great job. Cheers. Thanks, man. All right. See ya.